This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Hello, how are you? Hope you're doing well. Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap, where we're looking to help financial advisors and the entire advisory industry bridge the gap between where the industry and our business is today and where our industry will be in the future. We want to ensure we stay up with the trends, stay up with the innovation, and ultimately evolve our business to ensure the best experience for our clients in the years to come. And that's what we're looking to accomplish on Bridging the Gap. And hopefully you, your family, your team members, everybody that you're close with are staying healthy and that we are all progressing forward and having a, a, a good day or a good morning or a good evening. Whenever you're listening to the podcast, the beauty of podcasting is you can listen to it, you can stop it, you can fast forward. If you don't want to hear this introduction, you can just skip to the meat in the middle. And that's okay. Either way, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to another episode of Bridging the Gap. It means so much to me. And uh, all I'm trying to do is help provide some insights, provide some thoughts and conversation starters. And whether you agree or disagree with some of these views of, of myself or some of our guests, hopefully it gets you thinking about different ways to evolve your business and, and start conversations to continue to progress, not only your firm and your practice, but the entire industry, because that's what we're all in it for. All of us coming together can help to make this industry the the best it possibly can be and impact as many lives as possible. And you know, this uh, episode is is one that you know really hits home, I think, and, and it can strike a nerve on one side or the other. And and I think it's about you know retrospection. And you know, I, I look at our industry and how it's evolved over time, and I, and it can relate back to to life, right? Our our lives are built on the basis of really just these small incremental events in these moments that create what who we are, what our views are, and in in our overall personal life mission, right? It helps to evolve what we see, what happens to us. All of those lessons learned help to build the person that we are. And, and these small events build up to something bigger than just the individual event itself. And each event though is necessary to help us grow. And and if you you look at those and you say you know, what were those moments in time uh, that led to me? It's hard to pinpoint just one or the other being the the moment that led to you being the person you are. And you think about like some of those major moments in life, moving away from home, you know, starting your first real job, buying your first house, getting married, having kids, dealing with loss of loved ones. All of these kind of shape who we are in sitting back and wondering who we are and why that we are the way we are is really difficult to pinpoint that one, that one moment. There's a book that I read recently called Reboot by Jerry Colonna, who used to be a VC investor, but now is really focused on you know meditation and, and helping business leaders grow. And it was one of those books that helped me you know become much more self-aware and and kind of look back in my life and try to find those events and pinpoint why is it that I am X or why is it that I am Y? What are some of those events I can look at and not try to change them, but try to understand them? Because if we understand them, then it's a lot easier for us to understand who we are, why we act the way we do, and we can then build ourselves and grow ourselves into the future. And the lessons that I learned, that's for an entirely different podcast, one that maybe you all won't want to listen to, so I won't go into it. But it was a really interesting book. And this process of being retrospective and, and becoming more self-aware and asking ourselves, why are we this way? Or why is it this way? Why is it that we do it this way ourselves in our life? Or why are we this type of person? 
And I believe that our industry, the financial advisor industry, has an amazing opportunity to do something very similar that I went through personally. There's, there's a ton of innovation happening in our industry, and there's, there's been a ton of focus brought to our industry in the past decade, and it continues to be building like a kind of like a sharp hockey stick, right? You talk about startups, and they have this hockey stick growth. I think that this innovation is building, and this focus on our industry and this, this evolution of our space is, is kind of building really rapidly and exponentially and building this hockey stick growth, and it's these small little incremental moments that are doing it. And I think that we can look back now and say, well, what was the impetus to that, right? What what led to all that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago to get us to this point? And to me, those areas that are so powerful for us to do this is, is around, you know, why is it happening and how can we help to ensure that the way we work doesn't get lost in us evolving, but still allowing us to change and become better. And, and one of the biggest headlines that I see across the industry is fees. Why do financial advisors charge fees the way they are? And looking back, everybody says, well, we have to change that. And I think that the evolution of the industry and what our value is to our clients has evolved. But that doesn't mean that because that has evolved, that our fees have to change as well. And so understanding why fees are the way they are and why our clients value a financial advisor is important to understanding why the fees may or may not be correct. And so what that led me to is looking at some of these studies that I, I've been referencing for years now is, well, a couple of years because it's only a few years old, is, is a study from Price Metrics. It was done in 2018. And, and what it did is it separated advisors into two separate buckets. So it went and looked at advisors that raise their fees, right? So there's a group of advisors that raise their fees or kept them the same. And then looked at advisors that lowered their fees. And what they were trying to compare was which advisory firms or advisors grew their book of business more? The people that lowered their fees or the people that raised their fees? And what the study showed is that 30% of advisors actually lowered their fees by an average of 23 basis points. Then another 70%, the other 70% of advisors raised fees by an average of four basis points. So that's your lower versus higher fees. Advisors that lowered their fees had nearly 30% less revenue growth and nearly 15% less new assets per FA. You're going to say, Matt, no question they had less revenue growth because they lowered their fees, less revenue in the door. Get it. That's why the second point is the most important. Less new assets per financial advisor. They were not attracting as much assets per financial advisor as the people that were raising fees. And there was a quote in there by Patrick Kennedy, who's the chief customer officer and co-founder of Price Metric, which is a, a McKinsey and company company. And, and what he said was really, really relevant. And he says that supports, based on this study, that supports something we've seen, frankly, for 15 years, which is clients don't leave because of price. They leave because of service issues. And you can also see it here. Clients aren't attracted based on price. They're attracted based on relationship. They're, they're attracted based on people talking about you because of your service and the value you're providing. Price is not the determinant to either leave or be attracted. Price is a way for clients or for advisors that believe that they're doing something that's right for clients, but that's not necessarily what the clients actually want. And so there is no evidence that there's a market clearing price for advice. That's the beauty of this industry. Some people can charge less. Some people can charge more. But the value that's perceived by the client and the value that is delivered to the client 
because value is different for each client. They are going to determine what that value means to them. And they're going to go and feel and find the right financial advisor that provides them that balance between value and cost that is most important to them. And so it's not a one-all be-all for all advisors, all advisors, fee compression. No, some clients are going to be willing to pay more because they see more value in it and they're, and they're able to see the equilibrium between the value and the price. And some may not, and that's okay. And so then we look at what does a client actually value? That's something that's so interesting to me. What does a client actually value? And I think that the financial advisor's perception of what a client values and what the client actually values, it's, there's kind of a gap there, in my opinion. And, and Vanguard believed that too, because they did a study and they looked at the value of advice and, and, and they wanted to assess the role of emotions. And, and I think that this is something that relates to the fee story, because I think that advisors are missing sometimes the boat of what their value should be and how to give more of that over time. So 72% of clients that were, that were in this study, 72% of perceived value in the eye of the client of an advisor is related to three things. So clients said that 72% of clients identified these three things as being the uh, perceived value of an advisor, trust, personal connection, and proactive outreach. Those are the three things that clients, I don't see investment returns. I don't see performance in there. I don't see asset allocation, tax loss harvesting. I don't see any of that in there within a perceived value. It's trust, personal connection, and proactive outreach. What that lumps into to me is relationship, right? That's the relationship of the advisor. And I think that that's so important for us to see. And they took this study. This was such an interesting study, and I'm happy to share it with you all as well, because I think that Vanguard does some really good studies because you know not only are they a behemoth in terms of helping out clients, but they're also, I mean, they, they are somewhat of a proponent uh, for advisors at times, and they are building out their own advisory space. But they, they do these amazing studies of looking at the kind of the, the psychology of the client and where the value of having an advisor or a human involved in the relationship actually lies. And so they then went on to ask the, the participants in the study another question. And the question was simply, I need, and then they had all these statements. And they, they tried to say which one's ranked in the top and which one's ranked in the bottom and how many people put in and chose each of these. And so the top four and the bottom four are what I'll read. And it's really, really interesting. I think it aligns with what we found in that first part of the 72% of perceived value is related to those three things that wrap into one idea of relationship. So the top four were, I need to know my financial plan is continuously monitored and updated. I need to completely trust that my financial advisor, robo-advice service will put my needs first and foremost. So that's the first one was plan monitoring. The second one was around trust. The third one is I need to feel a personal connection with my financial advisor. So connected, relationship, that's that personal connection with the perceived value. And then I need an expert perspective to guide all my investment decisions. That's your investment expertise, right? That's not that that's helping you guide the investment decisions. So those were the top four, mainly around proactive outreach, which is plan monitoring, relationship, which is trust and connected, and some investment expertise. Now let's go to the bottom four for a second. The bottom four were I need to maximize my investment returns, even at the risk of substantial losses. The va- to the value of my portfolio. I need, I, I need to maximize my investment returns even at the risk of substantial losses. That's performance, right? Then the second one was, I need a neutral third party to facilitate financial discussions between me, my spouse, partner, or the family members. That's, that's a mediation, right? How do we bring them together to help them make decisions? 
The third one was I need round the clock online access to my account. That's online access. Think about portals and everything of that nature. And then the fourth is I need help balancing my spending and saving budgeting. Those were the bottom four when they asked what they need out of their advisor. If you think about what an advisor helps their clients with over the period of time, and especially if you like highlight the percentage chunks of it, I would highly push to say that from a servicing standpoint, the push is on portals, online access, round the clock online access to my account, bottom four. Push from the financial advisor relationship and conversation, performance and budgeting, cash flow. How are you spending? How are you saving? Let's talk about the performance of the portfolio, how it's done over the 12, 6, 18, 24 month period. Again, bottom four. What hasn't been shown is plan monitoring. How are you doing on your plan? What is, what's checking in, in between meetings, not just during the meeting? What about calling the client or having the assistant call the client to say, hey, how are you doing? What's been going on? Where are you traveling to when you're able to travel? Where, what are your kids up to? How are your grandkids? How's your job? Trust, connectedness, right? Those are the top four. Investment expertise. This is what I'm seeing in the market. This is what I'm seeing in the world. Not necessarily about performance. This is what I'm seeing in the macro environment. This is what we are doing. That's communication, proactive outreach, connection. We're not talking about performance. We're talking about what's going on and we're showing our investment expertise that we're thinking about it. We're being proactive and we're showing our investment uh, expertise. This is the top four, right? So there's there's a few takeaways that I have from, from this study and kind of from, from this overall thought is one, fee compression is a real thing. You're going to be like, Matt, that's so counterintuitive. You're hypocritical. You just said fees don't matter. And I said fee compression is a real thing. But there's another part of that sentence. Only for those advisors that hang their hat on investment management as their sole value prop. If you are just saying that you're an investment manager and that you are better at picking and choosing stocks or bonds and investments, et cetera, then you may have to lower your fees. Because ultimately, over time, maybe not today, but over time, it's going to become more and more and more commoditized that investors are going to see more and more options outside of just your relationship with them for investment management because they ultimately want a relationship. And if the relationship hangs on performance and investment, uh, investment performance, security selection, et cetera, then you're going to have a tough time competing just over time. Because if you see what a client wants, they don't care really about performance. They care about the relationship. And you got to show more value towards the relationship than just investment management from that standpoint. And that talks about, you know, what are you talking about in your meetings? Are you talking about, you know, just the performance? Are your, are your meetings weighted from, you know, are you, is 70% of the conversation about the portfolio and talking about why, you know, Apple and Port Procter and & Gamble and, and all of that is, is, is doing well and, and, and why you're going to go stock pick, you know, the, the next bio biotech stock that's out there and trying to get this upside return. If that's what if that's 70% of your conversation, you may be missing the boat because clients may want they want to know that you're an expert, but they don't necessarily want to talk about performance all the time. Yes, performance is an underlying cause concern and cause them to have questions, but if you always go back to the relationship and you go back to what their values are and go back to what their goals are and help them see that and they start seeing accomplishing it, then whether the performance of the portfolio is up or down, they're going to see progress going forward. And that's something that's more controllable than necessarily the performance of the portfolio. So the next point is, this isn't really groundbreaking to many advisors, but the client appreciates the relationship more than anything, right? Like That's what I take away from this is that the relationship that we, as advisors, we all believe we have the best relationship with our clients, but but maybe we don't. Maybe that we, we need to spend more time focusing on how do we deepen the relationship? How do we evolve the relationship? How do we strengthen the relationship Maybe beyond just us us as the advisor and our client, how do we get 
other team members involved so where they have a relationship with the firm right the the fee study that showed that lowering fees shows that there are a lot of people that are worried about clients leaving and if they are worried about clients leaving and they're lowering their fee to try to keep them then what that shows is that even though they may say they have a good relationship with other clients they they really don't because if they did i would venture to guess that they would be in that camp that was keeping fees the same or raising them because their clients aren't leaving them at that point. And so they don't go to the last resort, which is lowering your fee. When you lower your fee, what you're doing is you're showing a lower perceived value, right? There's a there's a lower perceived value in what your services are because you're, you're saying to yourself, hey, we are not as valuable as we once were, which makes the client question, wow, my advisor really isn't that valuable. Maybe I should go out and look at some other people. And so as opposed to spending time and thinking about lowering your fees, maybe the better thing for advisors is, is use that time to figure out how to better the relationships with all of your clients, right? We all know the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of our revenue comes from 20% of our clients, which means that probably 80% of our time is spent on 20% of our clients. Figure out how we can go to those other 80% without losing the white glove service to all of our clients. How can we go and find deepen our relationships with all of our clients? How can we create more capacity for our teams to be able to do that? How can we? What can we do to better that relationship. And so as opposed to lowering the fee, maybe we're thinking about how to go better the relationship with more clients. And the third takeaway is, when is our industry going to shift away from focusing on performance and change that narrative? Performance is out of our control. And we've seen with ETFs and mutual funds, and we've seen with all these other study after study that reversion to the mean is the case, right? You can outperform maybe for a year, two years, three years, but it's also we're always going to revert back to the mean. And, and yes, there's a lot of people that talk about passive investing being dead. But ultimately, you look at Buffett and all that and, and what he's done, and you look at many of the pa- best passive investors uh, around the world, they pass the test of time, right? They make it through these trends. It's a long-term strategy. And and period of time that we're in now is a trend with stock picking and the tech boom going and whatever it may be. And so staying true to that strategy just shows that it works longer term. And performance is not the conversation that needs to be had. The conversations need to turn to what we can control. Yes, we can control solid allocation. We can position the portfolio the exact right way for the client's needs, whether they need growth longer term and getting 80% growth, 20% income, or they need income and going 80% income and 20% growth to generate them interest for, for them to live on. We can do that. And then there's other controls that we can control of helping them you know, figure out and, and build their wealth in a way that allows them to do what they want to do, help them understand what their goals are, help them identify how to best achieve those goals. You know, help them identify where to put money, right? Where to put money, 401k, Roth, helping them with that, helping them with their estate planning, helping them with their tax planning. But most importantly, what we can help with is being a psychologist to them to keep our clients from doing something silly. Keep them from doing something silly. That's where our value is because we can see the entire picture. And sometimes money causes people to become irrational. And an advisor can help a client stay rational. And what our biggest value can be is to keep them on that track to the plan and doing the right things. They don't want us to help them budget, but they want us to help them guide them. And then we can do that by having a really solid relationship where they trust us all the time, inherently, even in the worst and the darkest of times, they trust us. And as an advisor, if we can build that strong relationship, and we can guide them through when their portfolio is down and keeping them from selling and keeping us from having to make all these changes and keeping them from their focus of being on the performance and rather being, hey, you still got 10 more years and this is where we're, we're on track. 
We had three really good years. We're going forward. We're staying on track, keeping them from jumping off, keeping them focused on, hey, your goal is to get the $2,000 a month out of your income portfolio or whatever it may be. And we're still going to be able to get there, even if we go down this much and stay on that goal, stay consistent on saving and the levers that we can control and keep our focus away from performance and help them see, you know, hey, maybe you are retired and your portfolio went down, but you look, you're still getting that $2,000 a month or you're still able to take that trip once you're able to travel again, right? And that's the beauty of, of what we can control. And so I think that ultimately our industry is still honed in on this performance conversation. And, and it's just a matter of when is that narrative going to change? And so, you know, there's three action items that we can all take, I think, to help with both all of those points. And first, it's, you know, make it a point to talk about one thing the client enjoys doing in their spare time in every conversation that you have with them, right? And, and, and document that in your CRM. Create a custom field in your CRM and, and make it three custom fields, top three things that they like to do. Maybe it's their grandkids or maybe it's travel or maybe it's golf. And every time you talk to them, get one more thing out of that that they like to do right? Get one more item that they enjoy. In every conversation, bring that item and the other items back up. Have you played any golf lately? Where are you traveling to? Where is the most? And make those notes and create that personal relationship and document it because we all think that we can remember. And we do remember a good bit, right? Because these are this is our job that we do day in and day out. But document it because then there's so much more you can do in terms of personal communication with email campaigns and texting campaigns, et cetera, based on that information and sending articles and, and grouping those people and segmenting your clients based on what they like and talking to them in a certain way and sending out correspondence to them in a certain way. That's how you get even more personalized. I'd say number two is identify the breakdown of your conversations. This goes back to something I was saying earlier is what are you spending your time talking to your client about? Is it performance and investments or is it their goals, their ambitions and how they can get there? And I would challenge you to start documenting this a little bit. Not, not, don't be, it doesn't have to be have a timer and hitting the timer and go, you know, just after you, when you're taking your notes for your meeting, just document, hey, I think that 60% of our time was talked about the markets and performance and 40% was talked about goals and them and their family. And try to shift that. Try over time to get to where you're 50-50 with your clients and maybe ultimately getting 70 about them and their personal desires and ambitions and their family and everything of that nature and only 30% about the portfolio performance. Helping them with their goals and understanding them even deeper, 70%, 30% about the performance and try to track that over time. And it will just keep you aware of what you're talking about and what your conversations are with your clients. And I think what you'll see is you're going to start seeing deeper conversations. You're going to start seeing clients are just such more appreciative and referrals will start ticking up because they're going to be like, this is a person that I enjoy. That's not just my money guy or money gal, but this is my friend. This is like my son. This is like my father. You know, this is someone that I can relate to really deeply that cares about me and understanding me and not just about you know, their fee and then the portfolio. And then the third thing that I would say is send out four planning lifestyle email correspondences to clients over the next 12 months and only two investment performance topics. Start to turn the focus of your clients away from you always talking about performance to talking about what they want to hear about, what their desires are, what their goals and ambitions are. And from that first point, if you're starting to understand what the clients enjoy, you can segment that out. And so maybe when the springtime comes and you have all these people that love golf, you can start sending out some correspondence about some of the top golf courses to go play in your area. And, and it's really just targeted to them. So that may be only 20 of your clients. And then the other you know, 40 clients may be really big foodies. They love to go out and try new restaurants. And you can send them a list from Eater or something of that nature that, that allows them to see, hey, here's a really good new restaurant in the area. And it's a lifestyle. And it's showing them that, hey, go spend some money. Go enjoy your money. And we're going to do it in a way that's, you know, that's prudent 
but it allows you to enjoy what you have worked so hard on. And I'm helping you live your, your life. And I'm here to help managing your money as part of that. But I'm helping to focus on ensuring that we're managing your money, not to get the best performance ever, but to allow for you to live the best life that you want to live, which is different and unique for everybody. And that's something I think is so important. And so try to shift that conversation based on the correspondences and the emails that you send out. And you can really segment your clients based on that, which makes it a really direct and and interesting uh, conversation. And so, you know, as I sit here and we look at our industry and the value we provide as advisors and the service we offer, I've, I've really become really, really comfortable with where we are today with fees. The, that's what I said is the beauty is, is that the advisors can charge different fees, but the clients ultimately determine you know, where, who, which advisor has the balance of value and fees. And, and if you have this feeling that you may be charging too much or wanting to lower it, why not look at the other side of the spectrum and increase the value you provide? How can we provide more value to our clients? How can we provide more services? And how can we do so in a scalable way for that same fee? So as opposed to looking at it on the fee side, look at it on the value side. What value am I providing to my clients and how do I provide more value to them? Or is it do I deepen that value, strengthen that value? Do I add more elements to that value? And and you know, the thing about reflection is, you know, it's good to understand the why. But the deep down why who we are is built on so many foundational aspects. And you know, the advisor-client relationship is built on this aspect of trust. And that's what the advisor, that's what the client loves about the advisor. And when it comes to trust and value, the advisor should focus on more so on focusing on how I deliver more of that as opposed to lowering my fee. And so people value the service that is offered by advisor, the value of the relationship. And instead of looking back and and nitpicking why the fee should be different, why should we look at why people want to hire us and pay for our services in the first place, then we understand that we can do more of that, right? We can do more of what that value is, which is trust and relationship and digging into that and, and to ensure that the client gets what they value and the advisor is able to continue to build and reinvest in their business. And if we're able to you know, to do that in a scalable and efficient way, then we're able to provide maybe more of that. And we can do it in a scalable aspect by, you know, bettering focus of ourselves and what we're trying to do. Fee compression is a real thing if you're only focused on investment management, because there are passive investment management solutions like robo-advisors that charge basically nothing. And that is something that is right for some people. But there's a ton of people out there that want a human relationship. And if you can increase the value that you're providing, to balance out your fee and to show that your fee is worthy of that beyond just investment management, then there's no reason to lower fees. There's no reason to, to focus on that aspect of it. Rather, focus on the aspect and do more of what the client and the, the client wants out of their advisor. And that's a trusting, connected, proactive relationship with their advisor. That's what matters. And, and I think that you know, those are the building blocks. If we can continue to build those blocks and continue to focus on that, we're going to build a relationship with our clients that is worthy of the fee that we charge. And we've seen it over the years that it's been right for there. And just because investment management has become commoditized doesn't mean we lower our fees because of that. It just means that we have to change our perception of what the value that we provide to our clients. We can't just hinge on investment management anymore. We got to do more for our clients. We got to provide more value. We've got to create an amazing and unique and personalized client experience. And that's where our focus should be as opposed to focusing on the fee side of the equation. So with that, I'll let you all get back to your day. I would love to know what you think about fees as I know that it's a topic many of us are thinking about. Where do you stand? What's your perspective? 
How are you ensuring that your fees don't get reduced and that you're able to keep and grow your clients? How are you providing value to your clients? I'd love to have that conversation. And more so, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Please like this, share this, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. That's the best compliment I could ever get. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Stay well, be well, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 